I have to tell you, this congregation is very, um, very helpful from the standpoint that, you know, I'm not a rock star, and that microphone that we use, that's the rock star microphone, just does not work for me. So Pastor Dave went out and bought a new microphone just for me. So I thought that was really nice. The other thing that I noticed that we have that you've accommodated, look at the pulpit. Just, it's got this nice place to put the cane. Uh, I, know, I know that when you guys purchased this pulpit, that's exactly what you had in mind, uh, to have a place to put the uh, cane. And I really appreciate it. I do appreciate the opportunity to stand in the pulpit. I've told some of you that the hardest thing for me is to sit there. Um, preaching is what I feel like I do, and I really enjoy it. And I really appreciate it because it's a time when uh, you're urged to study even more than regularly to find what God has to say on this particular day. I do really want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, you either forgot it perhaps today for some reason, or you don't have one at home, or you have someone at home or in your neighborhood you think ought to have one, just raise your hand and Josh has more, more of these Bibles. So please, take one if you need it for you. If you just need it for today, just take it and then put it back in the box as you leave. We really appreciate that. Also, I want to remind you to keep track of summer. There's a lot of great things going on in the summer. Vacation Bible school, the surf camp, and so on. There's more than that, but you'll want to be looking and keeping track of that. That's my commercial for the day. Uh, look at that and keep track of that. Sunday school still goes on with the adults at uh, 9.15 and the children and the youth. And that is an improving program. I really appreciate the people that work hard in that program. Uh, it's just a very, those are very important things. We don't want to leave our children illiterate as far as scripture goes. Both the Sunday school, the children's church, and the uh, Awana give them that chance to really know scripture. Some of you are in, in here. When you think about scripture, you remember it in the version that they used when you were in the children's clubs or the, uh, the children's program. Uh, so for me, it's almost always King James. But there's some of you that were, are younger than I. I know that's hard to believe. I, 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 I should tell you, I wake up in the morning, it's hard for me to believe. I look in the mirror and I say, where did that old guy come from? But it happens that way. Um, today we are on our second uh, session on Ephesians, a great book of the Bible. And uh, last week, Pastor Dave spoke. This week we're looking at Ephesians 1. 15 through 22. So if you have your Bible, it's 15 through 23. If you have your Bibles, please open it uh, to that, uh, regardless of whether it's on the screen or not. Uh, it's important for us to follow the scripture. One of the things we want to be sure is that the pastor who's preaching is preaching the word and not just his thoughts. Because we believe that the Bible is really our rule of faith and practice. The Wesleyan Church does have a discipline, but if you read the discipline, what they tell you is, if it's not scripture, don't preach it. So that's important. So I want to advise you today to do one of two things that I've always asked congregations that I've pastored to do. One of them, if, you're, if you've been through those sword drills where you're really good at going from scripture to scripture, follow along in the scriptures. I'll try to give you at least a little bit of time to do that. And if you aren't that good at it, write it down. And when you go home, Read it and check it out to make sure that what I'm telling you is what Scripture is telling you. And if it's not, don't believe me. Now, I'm not going to tell you something I don't believe, but uh, we need to know for ourselves. It's not just good enough for the preacher to know. 
or our teacher to know, we have to know. When you go to school and you're in a math class, the, the math teacher already knows the subject. What he expects and what you need to expect is you will learn what he knows. Well, in, and when we're together in this ch- church service or we're uh, in Bible study, we should expect the same thing, that we learn or we confirm. For some of you, you've been in the way long enough, I'm not going to tell you anything new. But you can confirm and renew your understanding. So Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Keep on, keep ask, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you mind if I go back and read that again? Uh, Because that's so important. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the ones to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, the Ephesian church had a reputation. Paul had heard that reputation. He had heard what had been going on. They had a reputation. Their reputation uh, is that their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love toward all the, all the saints. Paul's heart rejoiced as he heard what was going on in the Ephesian church. Here were people that believed and loved. That's what he was looking for, people that believed and loved. And here they were. They were showing the true fruits of salvation. One of the things we want to ask ourselves is, are we showing the fruits of our salvation? Are we loving? Do we love the brethren? In uh, John 13, 34 through 35, the Gospel of John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They were showing their unwavering faith by how they loved each other. Friends, I don't want a person to say that they are Christians, but they don't love their church, the church and the people of the church. Don't say you want to spend eternity with these people if you don't want to be with them and to worship with them, and fellowship with them. It's an important part. If you don't want to come to the fellowship with Jesus' people, 
or it's not important enough to plan into your week, we have to ask the question whether, in fact, we are showing the fruits of our salvation. The Ephesians were showing the world that they were Christians, not in word only, but also in deed. As I've read about the early persecutions of the church, one of the things they talk about in those persecutions was that people grew. Numbers often grew, but not always. But the people grew because you had to put your faith on the line. It couldn't be a casual faith that we just show up once in a while. If you were going to be a Christian, you had to proclaim your faith, you had to live your faith, and people could see it. Today we are having some of those same circumstances throughout the world. That there are people that are persecuting the church because they demonstrate their Christian faith. They speak of their Christian faith. This is important. The Ephesians were showing the world they were Christians, not in word only, but also in deed. These early believers had a reputation for strong faith and loving the beloved of the church. I wonder what sort of things Paul was referring to when he wrote, uh, when he wrote uh, about, about them. Paul's heart undoubtedly was over, overflowing with joy as he hears of the faith and love of his beloved friends in Ephesus. And in the first verse, the 15th chapter of this Ephesians, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what is Paul referring to when he says, for this reason. Well, if you were here last week, you probably already know. Or if you've been studying Ephesians, you probably already know. But let me go through them just quickly and review them. One, these people heard the faith. Now, you all have raised, many of you in here have raised children, so you know what it's like to be talking to the child and the child be somewhere else up here. And they don't hear you. Well, many people are like that. They're there the sound goes out, but nothing goes through the head. And so they don't really hear you. But Paul says that they heard the truth. Two, they believed the truth. And three, they were marked by Christ with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. We have been sealed by the Spirit to Christ. And, three, and four, they were God's possession. If we have been sealed through Christ by the Holy Spirit, we are God's possession. Friends, I would tell you every person in the world is owned by something. What I get to do is choose who I will be owned by. And I choose to be owned by Christ. If we hear the message, if we believe the message, if we're sealed to Christ, they, then we are God's possession. And that was true of the Ephesian church. It's very important to see just what Paul prays for because in reality, this section is a prayer from Paul to the Ephesian church seeking the Holy Spirit to help them do what they need to do. So it's important to hear that. Paul's prayer will help us pray more effectively for one another if we can hear what he has to say. So we need to follow Paul's example. First and foremost, what he did was he prayed without ceasing. For them. He prayed without ceasing for them. They were always on his mind. 
You say, how can we, you know, that, uh, there's another place that tells you to pray without ceasing. How can we do this? I can't be driving down the road with my eyes closed. It is the attitude of prayer. It is where your heart is centered that we're talking about here. And Paul says that my heart is centered on you. And I pray for you always, unceasing. He shows us that on a regular basis. First, he thanks God for them. And second, he prays for them. So he thanks God for the church in Ephesus, and then he prays for them. It's a great pattern for our church. We, uh, here at our church, we would, it would be a great pattern for us to thank God for each person who is here. To say, God, thank you for those folks who are here, who have been brought to life spiritually by you. Lord, thank you for opening their minds and hearts to believe. I'm sure those were some of the very kinds of prayers that Paul made for the church. It seems to me that we should make a church covenant that we will fervently pray for each other, that we will, do, we will rejoice in others' happiness and show sympathy and bear each other's burdens. That's the prayer we need to have for each other, even when I don't know if you've got a problem or not, even if I don't know how life is going with you. Yet I need to be praying for you. And God knows. He knows what's happening. But I want you to know, for those in here, we really would like to know. We, the staff wants to pray for you. If you would like to make it more public than just the staff, the church wants to pray for you. I believe this church wants to pray for each other. And we need to allow them to pray for each other and to bear burdens together. It was one of those things that in that, as most of you know, I spent a good six months in and out of the hospital. And it was the prayers of the brothers and sisters here in the church and their willingness to give and to loan and to do all of those things that made life a lot easier. Now, I will tell you, having gone through it, life was not easy. But I knew I had a body of Christ behind me. I knew I had my family behind me. I knew God was there. Even when I couldn't find him which happened from time to time. From time to time during that experience, I sort of wondered, where have you gone? Why am I in this situation? By the way, there's no good answer to that. But I knew you were there, my family was there, and God was there. So I didn't, you know, it was a great comfort to me, and I think it would be a great comfort to any of us to know that others are praying for us, others are concerned about our welfare. When was the last time you thanked God for the people here. Let's make it a priority to be thanking God for, God for his church and his church family. We have and pray for them. We need to have and pray for them. Sometimes we can get so focused on doing, we forget to thank God for the people that he's already given us. Let's seek the lost, but let's not forget the people of the church while we do it. So that's how he prayed. There it was. He prayed unceasingly. What else? He prayed for the knowledge of our final de destination. In the 17th verse, it says, I keep asking that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious 
inheritance in his holy people. We should see that God has, is called the glorious Father. The glorious Father. Remember from previous verses that both the Jews and the Gentiles are now in the church. They've both been taken in. They've both been added to the kingdom. The kingdom that is now, we are members of that kingdom if we know Christ as Lord and Savior. He, he, is concerned, he understands that. This God who glorified, is glorified through our salvation is the glorious Father. May God the Father give his people the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom, revelation, understanding, enlightenment, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what you are the, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We are part of that glorious inheritance that in the saints that God is looking for. We're part of that inheritance, and we have to remember that from time to time, that we are his, and he glories in our salvation. Paul prayed that these new believers would see with new eyes and understand with a new mind what all converts need and old converts, as far as it go, this goes, is knowledge of him. What we need is knowledge of him. Knowledge of whom? Well, you know. Knowledge of Jesus and his salvation. That's what we need. We need to know him and his salvation. Will you say knowledge? What, what kind of knowledge are we talking about? Well, we know about knowledge. People learn things, and that's commendable. Sometimes it causes pride. But we learn things, and we should. Factual information, information from experiments, and all of that kind of thing. And those are important. But in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, the first verse, it says this. 1 Corinthians, 8th chapter, the first verse. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Just knowing is not good enough. Just knowing is not good enough. We need to know from our very being what we're talking about. This knowledge is contrasted by the knowledge fueled by love. The more we learn of Christ, the more we should worship him and love his church for, whom, for which he died. As we love the brethren in tangible ways, we are showing God's love for us. Our task is to love not only in our heads, not only in our prayers, but as it's possible in tangible fashion. I read the testimony of one of the Roman officials back in the periods of, of Rome and when the church was new. And he said these Galileans, because that's one of the names that the Christian church had at that time, these Galileans take care of others as well as their own. And he was all shocked and surprised about that. Well, it's not, we understand we have an obligation to our family and we have obligations to take care of this person and that person. But do we understand that the church is part of our family as well? And as we take care of the church, then we move out into the neighborhood and into the world to be able to take care of what we can out there. We do that to a great degree. 
but not nearly like I believe we will and that we can. We can take care of each other and reach out beyond ourselves and demonstrate by what we do the love of God. So it's, a, it's knowledge fueled by God, fueled by love that we're looking for. We are to love the brethren in tangible ways. Now I know some of you have people that are Christians in the church which rub you the wrong way. You know why? Because we're human beings. But it's not a reason for not loving them. They may not be your favorite person to be with all the time, but there's no reason not to love them. Because my guess would be, if I talked to them, they would find you irritating. That's one of those things that we have. We are human beings. God made us with personalities. And now all of our personalities mesh exactly right. But just because we don't mesh exactly right doesn't mean we can't love the person that we have difficulty meshing with. We're willing to, to make the effort to be with them anyhow because we love them. And when they're in need, we're going to move to do that. We need to know the knowledge of our calling. In Ephesians, the first chapter, the 18th verse, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, inheritance in his people. Many of us in here have different and varied callings. Some of you work with children and you're really good at it. The children love you, they listen to you, they learn from you. There's others of you in here that you would love to work with children, but what you know is it doesn't work. Some of you are a little bit shy, and you're not wanting to be out in front all the time. But God has given you the gift of hospitality or some other related gift that doesn't require you to be out in front, and yet if you go away, people know it because there's some hole missing. We've had that experience with a number of people in this congregation that the Lord has taken home. People that were doing things we didn't know they were doing. And when they're gone, all of a sudden we ask, well, who does, whoa, he what he did or she did, and we didn't even know it. We didn't even see it because they used the gift that they had. That's what God is calling us to do, to use both our natural and spiritual gifts for the growth of the kingdom. That's what he's asking us to do. And so we have different gifts. We have different specific uh, ministry callings. We all, but we all share the calling that Paul speaks of here. We need God to work in order for us to realize the universal calling to, of the saints. The Lord wants the church to know deep down that we are only on this earth for a short time. For a short time. Those of you that have gotten older, I know that includes me, realize how short it was how long ago it was that, that you were little? How long, how short a time it was? Uh, my wife and I will soon be married 52 years. It doesn't seem like 52 years to me at all. I remember the wedding perfectly and the things that went on as we grew up. And it's just hard to believe 52 years. But we're only here in terms of eternity for a short time. I told my students at the university when I was teaching at the university that, teaching, that 
teach, learning American history is much harder now than it was when I was around because I had 70 years less history to, remember, to learn. And if you look at the United States, it's not that old a country. I've been alive a good share of the time that the United States has been around. Having said that, it's a short time. Just a little time. What do we do with it? What do, you do, what do we do with it? That's important for us to ask, important for us to know. The Lord wants the church to know deep down that fact, that we're not here long, but heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. We're here by, as sojourners for a brief period, but heaven is our home. As saints, our calling is heavenward, and we must have help consistently seeing this. Now, some of you have backgrounds in a different church than this one. And so you get sort of, saints? What do you mean, saints? I'm not a saint. We have a view of sainthood that really isn't scriptural. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're living the life that God wants you to live, you are a saint right now. Nobody has to declare you a saint. You are one of the saints. That's important to remember, because that's the way we live. That's the way we're called to live as saints of God. We are called, we, our calling is heavenward, is heavenward. The apostle prayed that the Ephesians would see by faith the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, in the saints. If your eyes really are, really see, if your eyes really see by the glory of Christ, the dark things of this world will lose its attraction. The more we see Christ, the less attractive we are by those things that are dark in our world. And it seems to me that there's getting to be more of them. I used to always say it's the best of times and the worst of times, depending on how you look at it. I'm a little worried. I'm not sure whether it's because I'm 75 or 70, uh, yeah, 75 or not. I forget. I'm not sure whether it's 75 or whether it's a true picture of history. And I consider myself something of a historian, so I really think it's a true picture of history. It's tipping. We of the church need to stand out because the society is tipping in a direction that will lead the society to destruction unless the people of God step in and do something. And I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned about that. World things lose their charm when we know Christ. The more we see the riches of Christ and his glorious inheritance, the less appeal the world has. In the, church of, in the Wesleyan church, we talk about holiness. In the church of God, we talk about holiness. It's holiness that's provided for us through the work of the Holy Spirit. But we don't, if you've ever noticed, if you try to break a habit, breaking the habit is not the issue. It's what are you going to replace it with? What are you going to replace it with? If you just break the habit and say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Guess what? You're going to do it. We have to replace it with something. And so we want to know Christ. If we want to know Christ, then those things of the world become less attractive and there's more of him and less of us. We are called to look in anticipation to our great inheritance, which is, in fact, Jesus Christ. Now, that's not always easy. I understand. We live in a world where it's not always easy. Sometimes we feel him close and sometimes we have a hard time feeling him at all. I had a friend in Atwater whose son was killed 
in a motor in a car accident. And I would she worked in my office, so we'd come in and we'd talk about how the day was and how it's going. And she told me, she said, Earl, I can't find God anywhere. I can't find God anywhere. And what I said to her is, let me find him for you. Meanwhile, you continue your habits of faith, and you will find him. Our habits of faith, the things that we get into, that we do habitually, much like coming to church, much like fellowshipping with the, with the brothers and sisters of the church, those kinds of habitual things, if we continue on when we're having difficulty seeing God, God is there, we'll finally see him again. He's not deserted us. There's something that's gotten in the way. Our emotions, a variety of things that can get in the way that are not necessarily evil, they just get in the way. But we continue our habits of faith until such a time that we know. And we let the church people, we let the pastor, we let the, that friend of yours that's sitting next to you in the, uh, in, the, in the seats, let them believe for you until you can believe. But share it with them. Don't hide it. Share it with them. All of us have problems, some more serious than others. We may not want everybody to know, but there's somebody in this congregation that you can confide in that will believe for you until you can believe. Then Paul prays for confidence in our final destination. In the 19th verse through the 23rd verse, it says this, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. Far above the rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. At 2015, still. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. To do these verses justice, we need to see the logic of Paul as he presents the argument as proof that the church will reach her final goal. He wants us to really see with our eyes of the heart that same immeasurable power that worked to raise Christ from the dead and seated him on the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. And in fact, the same power that saved you as a sinner if you know Christ. The same power that raised Christ, that put him on the right hand of the Father, is the same power that saved you if you know Jesus Christ. Exactly the same power. Jesus is currently seated with authority over what? Well, it tells us, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. All things, really, were placed under his feet. All things are in submission to him. Jesus reigns over everything now and forevermore. Nothing can ever be able to usurp, usurp the power that Christ has, the authority that Christ has. He rules the universe. He is king over everything. This Jesus who has everything under his feet, the Father gave him as head over the things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him 
who fills all in all. We are his people. This is his church. There are many people meeting out there that are part of the same church we are, though they have different titles and names, because they know Christ as Savior. And we are worshiping him. We go by confidence. Paul is giving the church more confidence because the church has Jesus Christ guarding her. Jesus possesses all power and authority. The church is the Lord's body, and he is our head. The intimacy of the body. Think about trying to separate your head from your body. It doesn't work well. Now, there's some of you that have a spare head, it seems like sometimes. I'm probably not here. If you've ever worked in junior high, you know there's some of those kids there that have a spare head that they're not using. However, let them keep it because they'll need it later on. But he is the head of the body that is the church, which means he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. It is his church. This church is his. Until the time comes when the fullness of nations has come to Christ, he is waiting. The church is intended to be a full expression of Jesus Christ. And someday it will be. One day when all the lost sinners that will repent have repented and, and believes the gospel, Jesus will return. You may want to know what I know about that. What I know for sure about that is that Jesus will return. If you want to get into the details, that's interesting. But what I know about it is that Jesus will return. He will return. Until that day, though, we have work to do. The church is not just here to enjoy each other in this building, to enjoy the music that John brings, to bring, enjoy the message that Pastor, Pastor Dave brings, which, by the way, is one of the great preachers I've ever sat under. That's not the reason. We have work to do. We are the church here, and then we go out into the world to be the church. We don't quit being the church just because we walk out the door. We, we talk about this building being the church, but it's not. It's just a building that the church meets in occasionally. But we come here to be refueled and renewed and to go out to the world and be the church. We are to be the church wherever we are, wherever we work, wherever we live, whatever the circumstance, we are to be the church. We need to be concerned about those who don't know him. He, we have been given a great commission. Re, hear this in Matthew in 18 through 20. Matthew 18 through 20. Then Jesus came in to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. We are to make disciples. Disciples are more than that initial commitment that we make to Christ. I think that initial commitment is important. You need to know that you've made that commitment to Christ. But it is more than that. Discipleship is being making disciples is more than that because then we need to love them and care for them and teach them and bring them into the ministry of church to work alongside us in this great endeavor. Sometimes I, I hear about churches that are really good at getting people down to the altars to make a commitment. 
But when they get up from the altar, there's nothing there for them. At the university, I talked to several students who had become Christians, and they were at a particular church, and they said, we just, there's nothing else there but that. That's all there is. And we're discovering we need more. What do we do? And I said, go talk to the pastor first. And then if there's nothing that happens, I guess, you're going to have to find somewhere else to grow. I'm not encouraging you to do that, but you've got to grow. And so as part of our job as the church is not only to proclaim the message to bring people in, but once they're in is to feed them and help them and love them and be concerned about them and help them go on the way. There's more to this thing than just commitment. That same authority and power that saved us has also commanded us to go. The church's main focus should be seeking out who do, uh, people who do not know Christ and sharing the gospel with them. We must also be teaching believers of the great riches of Christ. This is the charge to the church individually and collectively. But, but me and all of us, that's our charge, to be witnesses. We must, to be witnesses, we have to fulfill this great task of seeking those who must know Christ as Savior. We must live our lives in his power under the direction of the Holy Spirit. We must be examples to the world of what, who Christians are and what they do and how they do it. Examples of love. And we can do that under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus has given all power and authority, he will provide the power to us to do what he's called us to do. We can be confident as God's people to be his hands, feet, of the world. Now, I do believe that God gives the gift of evangelism, which is a special gift. That gift to be able to walk up and talk to people and, and challenge them with the claims of Christ immediately and get a response. Whether you have that gift or not, you are called to be witnesses. Well, what do witnesses do? They tell about what happens. Yeah, but I work in a workplace where that's not very well received but you're going to talk about you. I worked in schools for, uh, schools and school-related places for 43 years. In those 43 years, God led me to share people. I would come back on Monday morning and people would be talking about what they did on, uh, over the weekend. They went partying or they went to Vegas or they went somewhere else. And what do I talk about? I only have one thing to talk about. If you want me to talk about the weekend, I don't have anything else to talk about. And so we begin to talk about the church. And the interesting thing of that is adults would come into my office and shut the door and ask questions. Witness. Our job is to first be an example and then to help understand that our speech is not to avoid Christ. Our speech is just simply tell people who we are and what we do. You don't need to hit them over the head with the Bible. That's okay. If you're good at that, that's fine. But you don't need to do that. What we're doing is sharing what Christ is doing in your life and in the lives of others. Why are you a Christian? Why is it important to you? And just share that. And let people come to you. And they will. And they will. And then you can share it. And if that happens and you say, well, just a minute, you want to, you want to know Christ as Savior, just a minute, I'll call uh, Pastor Dave and he'll tell you. No. You know how to do that. If you don't know how to do that, come and see me. I'll share that with you. We need to be able to point people to Christ. We may not know all the answers. By the way, it's okay to say, I don't know. 
somebody asks you a question when you're sharing Christ with them, and they say, give you a question, you don't know what it is, it's okay to say, I don't know. But let me see if I can find out. You don't have to know everything. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws. He will help you. And of course, the people here at the church will help you as well. And the Bible will help you as well. And the Holy Spirit will be in you and working through you. And it's okay. So let me ask you three questions here at the close of the message. Question one, is Christ your Lord and Savior? We don't assume people into the church at Neighborhood Christian Fellowship. You don't come, sit down, and we automatically think, aha, you're a Christian. Have you, do you know Christ as Savior? Have you given your life to him? That's the first question. Question two, do you love the people of God's church, of Christ's church? Do you love the people of God, even those that are a little bit less easy to love? Do you love them? If you love them, will you pray for them this week and next week and the following week? We are together in the family of God. This happens to be one part of his greater family. But this part we know. We can pray for this part because we know. We can pray in general for others as well, but we know. I know who you are for the most part. You know who I am. Those of you that I I haven't caught up with yet because... We have several people that I, to be perfectly honest with you, I know your face. Please forgive me if I ask your name four or five or six times. Um, I don't remember names that well. But we love you. We want to pray for you. If you have a need, please share it with us. Not only that, but we want to be able to share that with you as well. The needs of people that are willing to let that go a little further beyond outside the pastoral staff. Okay, so first, is Christ your Lord and Savior? Second, do you love the people of Christ's church? And number three, are you witnessing as to what Jesus has done to impact your life positively and sharing with them when the opportunity comes up of who he is? This is our church. Now, I know that some of you, I talked about the fact that I think we need to be together in the church and that we need to plan our week to do that, and yet I know some of you work. Uh, that's the society we live in. I remember a time when hardly anybody worked on Sunday, but that's not the time we live in now. Some of you work. Some of you have other responsibilities that come up. But let me tell you, you don't have, this is not the only time that you can get together with God's people. We have Sunday school. We have some home groups. We have Wednesday evening. These are times we can get together, and if there's a time you need that we don't have, Talk to me. We'll see if we can supply that because we need to be together in, with God's people. This is our principal service. This is where we would like you most, but we also want you in all those other places. Maybe not every one every week. I think the church and another group is a good start because we need to study together. In the church, I'm talking at you. In the Bible studies, we talk together, and those are important. So let me ask you that question again. Let me ask you that question again. Are you witnessing? Do you have anything to witness to? Do you love the people of God? Do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? Paul prayed for the church. We need to be praying for the church. Let us pray. Father, I am thankful for this opportunity to share. I'm thankful for the people who are here. We ask that you'll open the hearts and minds of myself 
and other people to see the message that you have for each one of us individually. Guide in what the church does, that it is always faithful to your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.